everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Accounting Twins podcast. It's Norma and Becky, and today we have a super exciting episode for everybody. This is our first ever interview on this podcast, and we're excited to introduce to you Amber Setter and William True. So before we get into this episode and what our interview is going to be about, why don't we have Amber and William introduce themselves? William, you go first. Sure. Yeah. So I'm from Portland, Oregon. Uh, in high school, I did a lot of classical music. So going into college, I was thinking of doing that and then decided that piano and music can be my passion, but not my profession, which is good. So I wanted a job that maybe I could buy a really nice piano. And so now I'm in accounting and hopefully entering my senior and third year. So graduating a year early is the plan. Wow. Nice. Awesome. I love it when people have different backgrounds, by the way, and also these other interests that they weave in with accounting and maybe kind of similar. So I'm Amber Sutter. I'm the chief enlightenment officer for a company called Conscious Public Accountants. We're a professional coaching firm that teaches accountants how to grow their career without losing their soul. Um, by way of background, I started off as an accountant, right? So maybe similar to William, I was like, I want to make good money. Like I want a good life. And um, I saw this, I took a class in accounting and, and loved it and thrived and saw a great pathway. Um, but interestingly, I haven't really done a lot of accounting work, even though I've been in the industry for 20 years. I've primarily been in the realm of helping people. So um, I've been, a, I did a Internship with the big four firm, turned it down. It felt too big to me. Um, chose to work for a really lovely firm in uh, Northern California. I spent the first 10 years of my career there. I was a tax accountant, a campus recruiter, learning and development manager, doing all things initial CPA licensure before I became a professional coach. So I love talking about careers in accounting and how to have a thriving life while working in accounting. Um, it's possible. You might be a little bit of a salmon swimming upstream according to the narrative, but we can get into that. <laughs> okay. Thank you guys so much. So how this interview like originally came out um, is David and Blake, who are hosts of the accounting podcast, which used to be called the cloud accounting podcast. They um, had an episode just talking about like salary issues that a lot of um, uh, new accountants are facing, especially uh, public accountants. And um, William reached out to David and Blake who helped produce the accounting twins podcast and just had questions regarding like uh, salary and talking to whether it's an employer and a potential employer or even a recruiter, just how to talk about this impending salary issue. And David actually got us um, in contact with William to try and talk about this. And then he got us into contact with Amber so we could uh, have just a great discussion about salary issues and more issues that um, public accountants or uh, regular accountants might face when they're starting um, to go into the industry. So in this um, episode, we're just going to talk about all those fun things. So I guess the first way to start off this interview. Um, so Amber, we were just wondering, how would you recommend for beginning professional accountants to spark this conversation about um, salary and these issues with their employer? Yeah. So it's it's a good question, right? What I love about it is you're thinking like, how do I go in and negotiate, right? How do I go in and get what I really want? And that's really what, I'll just take a step back and explain professional coaching because people don't always understand what it is. In fact, I um, often, when you when you take a webinar, when you're an accountant, once you get your CPA license, if you choose to do that, there's always a poll. That's how they 
tell if you're paying attention or not. So I always ask this polling question, which is, what do you think a professional coach does? And 90% of people get it wrong, right? So I'll explain it. <laughs> so coaching, I'm really assuming that you're the expert on your life, the coachee, my client, right? So if I was coaching William, I would be asking William clarifying questions to uncover what he really wants. And so when we're talking about entering into our career and negotiation, there's a part of like, what do I really want and what I want to advocate for? And then there's kind of, a, I would say a little bit of a reality is when you start, you don't have as much leverage yet, right? So when you're entering, you know, it, there's a distinction definitely probably between industry and nonprofit and public accounting. But if we really look at, let's just use public accounting as one big rock that we compare other things to. In public accounting, there's usually set starting salaries, right? It's usually pretty set and standardized. Um, there might be some bands, and a band meaning there's a low level, a ceiling, and a floor, like in a particular firm or big four environment, and the variances could be tied back to the cost of living in a market. So when you're going for those jobs, the reality is you don't have a lot of negotiation on starting salary. Starting salary is what it is. Now, if you were going to go to a, maybe a smaller size firm that wasn't you know, up to market or an industry job that wasn't up to market, you could maybe come in with some data and say, you know, I'd like to counter offer. Um, but what I would have you do is go through the interview process, you know, sell yourself on why you're a good candidate, receive an offer. And if you're not going for like a big four or a top 100 firm that you know, the salary is what it is, the compensation package is what it is, then there's not like a lot of negotiation to be done. Now there's definitely, well, what do I really want? Like, what are the benefits to me? Because you will see variances in the different benefits. You'll see variances in the career opportunity. You know, um, there's different things that you can still uh, negotiate with yourself on what's going to be the best career path for you. So how would you say, I, cause obviously it seems like now you don't have as much of, um, as much leverage when you start your job, but definitely like a few years down, how can you negotiate your salary even more, even like after a promotion, say you're an experienced staff accountant, can, can you negotiate your salary a little bit more than you could um, before? Possibly. So I'll answer. So first off, are you guys familiar with fishbowl, the application by chance? I've yes. never heard of it. Mm -hmm. So, so Fishbowl is a, it's an app. And what it does is it groups professionals by bowls. So for me, Amber Sutter, I entered into the app and I said, Hey, I work in accounting. And then it verifies with LinkedIn. At least it did when I signed up that I'm actually in accounting. And then I opted into different bowls, right? So I'm like in women in accounting, mental health in accounting, different things. That is a, um, a very, I would say, it's a very good resource in terms of compensation because people post and ask questions anonymously about compensation. So they will share what raises are, they will share what starting salaries are. So I, I 
I think it's important for you to know because if you're entering and say we're just talking about before, I'm going for an entry level job and I got an offer, is that what market pays? Is that good or not? Like I can go to Fishbowl and it has a search feature. Like you can type in a firm name and you can see what you know other people may, may or may not have posted. So that's a resource. I think that's also helpful when you're wanting to negotiate raises. Um, it, there's a, there's nuances. I, I guess the thing that the thing I was thinking about probably is when you go into larger organizations or more mature organizations, they typically have a very standardized performance management process, right? Where it's like, okay, I start off. These are the goals that I have. I work towards these goals. I'm going to get, you know, feedback on if I met them or not. And then I'm going to get a percentage rate or a bonus based on what my performance was. Sometimes you might choose to work in a really small company that doesn't have that at all. And it's going to be up to you to advocate for that if that is important to you. Um, so you definitely can do it. Um, I always encourage people when it comes to negoti negotiating for compensation is to get clear on sort of what the facts are and what's going out in the market so you know what your leverage is. But also, if you're working with other accounting and finance professionals, like they like data, they like numbers, you know, and so you got to meet them hmm. where they're at mm -hmm. and come with some data and some numbers to say, hey, this is what's going on in the industry. This is what I think a reasonable uh, compensation adjustment would be. And I'm basing it on these facts, not just like my feelings because I want to go get a new car. So you stated <laughs> that starting salary may not be as easy to negotiate. How would you say somebody could try to negotiate a sign signing bonus or something like that, given a situation, for example, if somebody has multiple job offers, company one is a higher salary, but maybe the person isn't really liking the work or the company culture, but company two is less of a salary, but a better work environment. And so they're trying to negotiate a, a signing bonus or um, a pay raise for like a set pay raise for the next few years. How would you recommend someone go go about that and on the opposite end what is going through a recruiter's head when they are being asked those questions is it feasible so this is a pretty broad brushstroke but i don't think you really have any leverage to negotiate a different bonus okay usually in my experience when i was in a firm for 10 years directly in a firm related to roles around campus recruiting and hiring we had a starting salary and a bonus, period. We didn't offer something to different, you know, one thing to Becky and one to Norma. Will, William had a better GPA, so he gets a little more. No, it was like, if you meet our requirements, our GPA requirements, you've taken the classes you need for CPA licensure. If you meet our requirements and we make you an offer, this is your offer. There's, there's not a negotiation. Mm -hmm. Now, what we tried to do was to make our offer unique or different or our, our job, you know, a different experience, right? So when I was in a fir the firm that I was at, a lovely firm, um, we had a rotational experience. We didn't require people to come into audit or tax or any of the specialties. We're like, you get to come in and try different things out. So we offered a very distinct employment opportunity with a competitive salary. So I would, you know, have the have an entry level person think more less about how do I negotiate for more money, 
because money's not going to necessarily get you happiness. I mean, yes, it, it does help. Don't get me wrong. Like I like nice things, but I also had this right. wild experience when I was 19. I was an au pair. I lived in Monte Carlo where there's like yachts and all that. And I learned money does not bring you happiness ultimately. Right. So, you yeah. know, if a entry level person, you said, what, what's going on in a recruiter's mind is like, well, I want $2,000 more because this firm's doing it. I would just be like, you haven't even proven yourself. Like, <laughs> have, you know, <laughs> come in. If it feels like it's good for you. <laughs> awesome. And if it's the right fit for you, you're just going to rocket ship and you're going to, you know, you're going to meet your goals. You're going to exceed your goals. You're going to get promotions. Um, but not so early on, you know, I, I think that it's the, I just don't think you have leverage without the work experience. Okay. Womp that makes womp. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Would you still say it's worth to do some type of negotiating? Maybe if you're not doing salary, like, would you say, how about like pay time off or are those things also set? Cause you said people, they tailor it to different people, but it's still basically the same thing. So usually pay time off is another, it's a, it's an HR policy okay. that exists. So there might be like, you know, once you're with an organization for so long, you get more time or whatever, but paid time off is usually, this is our compensation package. That's what it is. And it might vary in an organization based on tenure, but it's usually, it's not necessarily, and if you're going to a really small company, it might be mm -hmm. more negotiable. If you're going to like a small organization where it's maybe not as refined or there's more flexibility, but the larger the organization, the more structured it's going to be. And it's just, this is what it is. Yeah. It seems like at this point, it's just entry level accountants don't have as much negotiation skills, but it seems like everything across the industry seems to be or and location seems to be more consistent because I'm starting my job in two weeks and a lot of my fellow grad students, we were talking about like our salaries, PTO, all of that. It seemed pretty reasonable. And if anything, it seemed applicable to the job. Like my friends who are doing big four have probably a $5,000. Um, they are getting $5,000 more in salary than I am, but I'm not going to do a, a big four and they have more PTO, but that's also, it's big four. It seems like it's just very based on what type of job you're doing. Yeah, and you do see that. That's accurate. You're going to see that consistency because the firms are like, oh, what are they doing? What are they doing? And they try to be competitive with one another. And so there is sort of this macro harmonization. Um, but what I would invite you all to consider is like, it's not just salary that matters, right? I think that it's... It, it's no secret, at least I don't think it's a secret, that it's a demanding profession, that it could be really rigorous and really challenging. And so I think it's really important to look at the firm culture. You know, what's the employment opportunity? Who are the people that I'm going to work with? Am I going to like my colleagues? <laughs> Am I not? Like, is it going to be like soil that I'm going to thrive in or I'm going to feel like a little wilted flower? And that's the part where, you know, in my experience as coach and even campus recruiter, like I, I would, I remember we would have these candidates and it's like, oh, this, our firm would be such a good fit for them. 
but they would choose to go to like the prestigious company name instead of taking the risk to do something that maybe their family didn't know the company name and it would have been a way better fit for them. So that that's more of like what I would encourage people to do, because as you said, Norma, you noticing like salaries kind of standard out there when you're coming in with with this profile that you have, right, that you've earned the accounting degree, whether you do four or five years, you're getting hired for that. But what do you choose? The negotiation power you have is your 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 education, right? That especially if you've chosen to do five years, which is debatable if people need it or not, right? But if you've chosen to do that and you're CPA exam eligible, there, there's people that want to hire that. And so then you get your choice of what employer is the best fit for you. So instead of like, oh, what am I going to negotiate? It's, it's not just about the money, you know what I mean? $5,000 after taxes divided by 12 months is not that much in comparison to like, well, 200 hours, charge hours less a year. That's going to be a way bigger difference on your life. Exactly. My company has a very unique culture and I love it. I mean, you can get tased at work, which I did. <laughs> I work for I saw um, that, yeah. Axon who does body cams and tasers for um, police and military and civilians. And so it's kind of like if you work at a retail store, you're going to wear your clothes. And so they offer you the opportunity to get tased, which I did. It's a very unique culture. It's very fun. And I <laughs> do luckily get paid very well. But even if I didn't, like the culture is something so unique that I love so much that I don't think I would even leave the company for a higher pay somewhere else because it's so fun. I love everybody I work with. So the culture is a very important part of a job itself. I was going to I was going to say just even on like from someone who's not in the position where Becky is, um, where I haven't even started my job yet, but looking at her and seeing how happy she is with her job, like that seems so much more important than the money. Cause she like, she enjoys herself and has so much fun. And even like this past year, when I'm having this time of my life in grad school with my friends, I'm like, Becky just like, she looks like she's living like Hannah Montana, the best of both worlds where she loves her job, but she also loves like she loves the job in the sense like sitting down at the computer, but she loves the people that she's working with. Yeah. And it's important. I mean, when I, so my, I kind of skipped over it, but when I um, was going through the recruiting process myself, it was this really weird time in accounting and I was living in the Silicon Valley. So it was right around the time when, en when Enron happened and Arthur Anderson went under. In fact, I interviewed for an internship at Arthur Anderson and I thought I nailed it. Oh. I thought it went so well. And I'm like, I'm not getting an offer. Like what? Well, cause the whole firm like dissipated, you know, went away. And it was this weird, like on the news, like you're watching like the nighttime, you know, comedy shows and they're like talking about shredding documents and criticizing accounting. And it was just a really weird time for accounting coupled with, I lived in the Silicon Valley and the dot-com bubble burst. So it was this little microcosm where it was really hard to get a job in Silicon Valley and really weird time to get a job in accounting. And so even though I had like a good GPA, was in beta alpha psi, like all the things, it was hard. And so I got an internship, still got an internship at EY and I got the offer and I, you know, I, uh, for full time and audit and I turned it down and everyone thought I was bonkers, right? Like my accounting professors, my friends in beta alpha psi, my family, it's like, you got to take a job, you got a job offer. But I, 
I didn't feel like that was going to be the best fit for me. If I was like true to my heart, it didn't feel like it was going to be the right move. And so I took a risk. I turned it down. I went through campus recruiting again, which is exhausting to go through it a second time. And I got the job that I wanted. And I ended up at that firm for almost 10 years because I loved the people. And even when I was like, oh, I don't want to do accounting anymore, but like, I want to stay here because I love the people. Like, what can I do here? And how can I still create value and do stuff that aligns with my interests? So enjoying your work environment is just so important. Money, money's good too. Don't get me wrong. It's not an either or, but it's, you know, (laughs) how do I make good money and do work that's interesting and work with interesting people? I would say bouncing back off of what you just said, how you turned down a job, found a really, really good job. I had a very similar situation. However, I had previously accepted a job at um, another accounting firm, and then I realized that wasn't my path and I wanted to do private accounting. So then I found my current job and then rescinded my offer from the accounting firm what is your professional opinion on somebody rescinding an offer? Because Norm and I have been tagged in some tweets on Twitter about young adults rescinding their offer. So we would love someone else's opinion besides mine and a young adult on how somebody else feels on the professional side of a young adult um, rescinding their offer. You know, um, People that work in recruitment are human and they're really in the business of helping people find the right spot. And so it's, it's okay to rescind and change your mind. It's just about how you go about doing it. You know, like, do you do it in a way where you're um, authentic, where there's integrity in the process, or do you do it in a way where it's messy? So, you know, I've seen stuff where uh, people no-showed on their first day, didn't tell us that they changed their mind. And the impact on the organization is like, well, we got a laptop for you. We ordered stuff for you. You know, like we spent money and planned for this and where you at. So that's like not a cool way to do it. And I get probably, I would imagine, Becky, you're like, oh, I feel bad. I told them yes. And I break up with them. You know, <laughs> like there's a thing, you know, we feel, but it's okay. It's okay to change your mind. And it's just good to be forthright about it sooner than later so that the organization's not wasting any time or money planning on you coming. Um, and that's going to be even more important if you're like not one of 10 in a start group and you're like the only one in a role because they need to go refill that role because there's a need. So it's just all about how you do it. You know, your, your decisions can change and that's okay, but can you do it in a way that just like I had a change of heart, you know, it turns out, I think I'd really be better here because when you follow your heart and you go do what you think you're going to be best at, you're going to be best at that, right? If you go into a job, you're like, oh, I don't know, but I don't want to tell them I changed my mind, so I'll just try it. it it's probably not going to work. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess then moving more towards what you do now, you're helping young professionals when they're starting their career. A lot of stuff that I'm facing right now is the problem of studying for my exams while I was in college, but then now that I'm going to be um, working in a few weeks and studying for my exams, what's your advice to those people? It seems like you work a lot with people who who would most likely be still studying and working at the same time. What's your advice to handle that? Because I'm not going to lie, it's rough. Yeah, so (laughs) 
Um, you know, our firm does a variety of things. We coach leaders at all levels and they have the, the, the work that we do with CPA exam candidates is really helping them through coming up with a solid plan and providing um, unprecedented levels of accountability and support and emotional support. And so CPA review courses are important, like understanding the technical stuff and the questions that they're going to ask. That stuff is important. We do a little bit of different stuff. Um, but to, you know, more specifically your question, I'd always advise people, and this, this comes from data. So the sooner you take your exam sections, the better. And the data, you know, they don't do it. I don't believe they do it anymore. But back in the day, NASBA used to do these candidate performance handbooks where they would study the performance of all these people, all these candidates. And it always revealed that the sooner someone takes the exam out of coming out of college, the more likely they are to pass. The longer you wait, the more you put it off, the more, you know, either the materials are stale in your mind, you know, it's been like two years since I took that audit class and now I'm working in tax. Or the other thing is I have more responsibility in life or work. And so I don't have the bandwidth to get the study hours in. So the exam's going to be changing dramatically. You guys probably are aware at the end of the year. But yeah. like, if we just look at, I'm going to give you an example from today. Today's recommendation to pass um, financial, and this comes from the AICPA, is you should you should study. I think it's like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm maybe it's 120 hours. If it's 120 hours, you don't want to do 10 hours a week for 12 weeks because by the time you get to week 12, you're going to forget what you studied in week one and two. Now, if you could take a month off and you're just all you do is study 30 hours in a week because you're just like it's before you start working and you do that in four weeks, it's, it's going to be all alive and all fresh. So you want to just think about, you know, doing it sooner than later. Don't stretching it out for too long. Mm -hmm. um, and really knowing that it's rigorous, right? Like you can hear this conceptually, but it's going to be like one of your harder tests or finals you're, you've ever taken. Um, the data, I think the last I saw was maybe only 10 or 12% of people pass all four on the first try. So where I see people really get stuck is like they go and they take the exam and they fail and they've never failed at anything in their life, right? Usually like people who choose accounting and, you know, like type A, you know, you tell me what the syllabus is. I'm going to get the A in the class. I'm going to do a good job. And then you take this exam and you bomb it. You're like, I don't even know how to like fail. Like that's, that's not, what does fail even mean? You know, like I struggle and have a hard time getting back up on the horse. So that's like, if you fail, it's okay. It's normal. It's part of the process. Like, don't even worry about it. Get back up on the horse. But we can, if you have mm -hmm. more granular questions, I'm happy to help with that because it's something that when I first started professional coaching, going through coach training, that was like 11 years ago. And at the time, California was the 49th st state to adopt the 150 hour rule. And I was working in the firm and there's like all these people that needed to pass the exam. And if they didn't, they were going to have to go get another year of college. So the stakes were high and I was learning wow. how to become a coach. So I said to the firm, I'm like, Hey, could I like try this coaching thing on those people to pass the CPA exam? And it totally worked. And so um, now our firm has a 
program of professional coaching experience to pass a CPA exam based on like all these years of my initial experience coaching people. And then we've tweaked the program a little bit just to meet like the needs of modern day candidates who wanted help specifically on how to manage anxiety. So that's in the program. So you going back to, you said the firm culture, and then uh, you talked about like the extra $5,000, you know, divided up, it's not going to be much. I think one time I actually uh, looked at like per day and I was thinking, okay, is it going to be worth X amount of dollars each day to deal with the more stressful job? And if it's like $25, you say, is it worth that $25 after tax or whatever? What are questions that you can ask during an interview about the culture that can't be found elsewhere? So for instance, on LinkedIn, you can see like the retention rate. Oh, this employee left after two years or this employee has this background and they've been 10 years and they've been promoted, you know, three times. What are questions that you might not know from like the website or the LinkedIn that would be good to ask during the interview process? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to, answer that. And then I'm also going to talk about cues. So the things to look for and questions to ask. So questions to ask would just straight up ask the people interviewing you, like, tell me what does it look like when work-life balance is going well for you? And what does it look like when it's not going well for you? They're going to be like, wait, what? And then go, and then how often is it working well for you? And how often is it not? Right? I would ask questions like that. I would ask questions like, um, you know, how do you got, how do you support staff coming in? You know, like if I'm coming in as a staff person, how do you support work-life balance? And maybe specific things. Like if you know, as an example, I want to take the CPA exam. What are ways in which you're going to help me? Like I'm going to study. I'm, I want to do it. I'm totally in. How does the firm support? And they're probably going to tell you something like, well, we'll pay for your review course and then we'll give you a bonus. How about um, helping to manage my workload? And I earlier, I just was on a committee meeting earlier um, before this podcast interview. And we, I'm on the California Society of CPAs. There's an accounting education careers committee. And we had a guest speaker from the AICPA talking about you know, I really admire the state societies and the AICPA really like, how do we help the pipeline issue and what do we do differently? And I believe I'll speak on my own self that one of the greatest, I think, leverages that's not getting enough attention is how, how do we get the firms to have a little more, give the candidates more grace and more space to take the exam because that's like a really big one to like help you like work-life balance early in your career. If you're going to do the CPA licensure, CPA licensure is like 400 hours total that the AICPA recommends that you need to just do that. So you're going to layer that in to a job that's requiring you to do 1800 billables in the big four. That's 2200 hours in a calendar year. That's a lot. So, um, that's the kind of stuff where it's like, you can ask managers what that are interviewing you or partners, what it looks like, but you can ask, well, what is it, you know, for you, for a staff accountant, what does that need to look like to the idea of cues? You know, I remember going through the process and hearing from a firm, like we won an award by working mothers. 
And then I looked around and I looked at the website and I didn't see any female partners or I saw one amongst, you know, 30 men. So are there actually female, like I knew I wanted to have a child. I didn't have my daughter till I was 38. I wasn't going to have her immediately, but I knew I valued family and I knew they saw that in the cards for myself. And so I was like, I need to see if there's actually women partners. So back then I ended up working at a firm that like a third of their partner group were women. And that was unheard of at the time. It might be a little different today. Sadly, it might not be, but like, you know, for you, what's important to you? What is, what is balance going to mean to you? Like, do you like to go, um, hiking, you know, like what is that? Are you going to have space to do the things that you really like to do that are, that are important? I think those are really good questions. Like it's, when I went through the interview process, we would always, my, us, Becky and our friend would try to find those like culture type questions. And we, we never came to something of, of the amount you just told us, like even those cues. So those are really good for for future candidates and people to it's use. It's like reading the lines in a sense. Like it's not the, the verbal answer or the physical words you're seeing. It's like, how many people do you see doing this? Are there organizations within the company? Again, the awards type of thing. It's like digging a little deeper, doing your research. It's not just what's visible to the, not the blind eye. <laughs> well, yeah, because in, so I, in our training as coaches, um, there's, there's eight professional, there's eight core competencies. And so Norman Becky, you just hit on two. One is evoking awareness. Like how do you really ask these big questions that draw something out that you've never thought of or heard of? And then the other is active listening and active listening. You're not listening just for what someone's saying. You're listening for what they're not saying. You're noticing like they're pulling back or, you know, you're notice the cadence of somebody's like, da -da 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 -da. they're probably got a lot of anxiety going on, right? Like, you know, there, there's so many ways to listen and hear what's being said. That is not the literal language that's coming out of someone's mouth. Would it be appropriate to ask something about the firm's goals? So for instance, if, like you website, we want to be, we want to, you know, be this, this, this to say what in the past two years are policies you put in place to help with those goals. And maybe like in the next two years or some type of question like that to help. Is this somewhere like long-term? Is this somewhere I want to be? Are there questions like that are appropriate to ask? Cause you wouldn't, you might not find that out from the website or the LinkedIn to know, you know, where do you plan on going? I, I don't see that my experience hearing you ask those is like that that's not inappropriate. I think they're great questions. I think they might be questions people are like, they're going to maybe just give you an answer. But there's a lot of, I think, soul searching going on in organizational life, right? Not, not just accounting and finance, like organizations as a whole. Because if you, if you stop and go, okay, prior to COVID, there was a lot of like, we have a brick and mortar business. You go into the office. This is what work looks like. And then COVID happened. And it's like, it that wasn't just one year. That was like two years of weirdness and triage. And we're just finding the way to make it work. And now it's like, well, are we the kind of company that's going to require everybody to come in or not? Okay, we're not going to require everyone to come in. So we're going to have people in different locations. Like, how are we going to compensate? 
You know, if you're an auditor and you're in the local market near the brick and mortar office and you have to drive to clients all the time and you have to pay money for gas and your time, should you be compensated differently than Amber who just sits in her office and has no commute time and doesn't actually pay for fuel? You know, these are hard questions that organizations are going through. So I think that's great questions to ask. Like, what's your vision for the future? What are some, you know, what are some decisions you've made? What are some priorities? What are policies you put in to change this? I just think also be gracious if they don't have like a perfectly polished answer, because there's really some complexity going mm -hmm. on in organizational life. But I think they're great questions, um, you know, for for companies, whether it's public accounting or industry, like, are you a startup that wants to get acquired? Like that's going to sometimes create a certain tempo and cadence in an organization that might be very, very fast paced. I've never heard somebody say, oh, I worked in the startup and it was like a chill job. It's usually like we were going for IPO and like, you know, we we're hustling and it's just fast. If you're going into public accounting, it's like, well, I know there's a the, the lovely firm that I work with and like their big thing is we want to be sovereign. We're not going to sell out to another firm. We're not going to merge. We're not going to do private equity. We want to be our own entity. We want to serve our clients really, really well. We have some great clients. We have some great people. And our vision is to just be us and to not do that. Because I've also never heard someone say, oh, we did that firm merger and it was awesome. You know, it's like, it's just like becoming a blended family. You have a new relationship and people coming in and it's not horrible, but it might be bumpy. And so I think they're good questions to ask because there is some activity like that potentially going on in accounting. I actually had a question um, earlier in the interview. You had stated something about some candidates, you know, can be very similar, high GPA, internship, lots of accolades. What would you say you notice sets apart different candidates from each other. For example, Norma and I are practically the exact same on paper, but what would, if you have candidates who are the exact same on paper and you're interviewing them, how would you be able to choose, okay, I think this person is more suited for our company and this job compared to somebody else with the exact same experience, the exact same GPA, those types of things? Um, I'll, I'll just answer from the position that I was in, which is going to be different probably for different hires and recruiters. Um, but really what I was looking for, like, as you said, you know, you have people that side by side comparison, lots of similarities. I was really looking for a genuine interest in working for our organization, you know, really, really believed in it, really saw it as different and unique, really saw it as, you know, a special place to work. Because I held it as that, because that, that was true for me. And the people that were, that, you know, really saw that and kind of that had that resonance were the people that were going to be a good fit. Because in that particular culture, they are, they don't do a lot of lateral hires. They don't do as much experience hires. It's more of like, how do we have homegrown partners? How do we keep people for the longer term? So that, that was like, part of the culture. So we were looking for that in the person coming in. Um, you know, I, I kind of even want to take a step back of like saying, I don't know all the time if somebody who has a 4.0 GPA is the best candidate, because what that shows me is they're really book smart, but that doesn't show me, can they um, manage multiple priorities? 
you know, like I can speak from my, my experience going to school when I was working and trying to be in beta alpha psi and get a certain GPA and doing all like, that's where I was like time management skills, multiple priorities, like all these things that would really help me thrive in my career. Mm -hmm. So once I started working, like I think there's a lot of value in having like a job while you're going to college and getting some some skills along the way. Waiting tables is like an amazing job. If you figure that out and how to please a variety of hungry customers, like that's a total transferable skill. Um, but it's, you know, I I think that I didn't want to skip over that, right? It's it's important to do certain things and look good on paper, but it's also good to have a variety of life experience. And I, I would look for a uniqueness too. You know, I, I wanted to hear different things that people have done in their life and their interests and, and get to know them more than just their resume. I don't know how much time you have, but the question of what are your hobbies? This sounds like what kind of what you're talking about, something unique that's not maybe not on the resume. You might ask something, they're going to give three things that were not on the resume. How do you think pe people should talk about that? Oh. Like when you say your hobbies, what are they looking for? They're getting, they want to know who you are. So your answer should be your authentic response, whatever that is. You know, I mean, there's no right answer to a hobby. I mean, I guess it's what brings you joy or maybe it doesn't bring you joy. Maybe you're just like, I really want to learn this thing because I've always talked about it or whatever. But it, to me, that question is, how do I get to know who William is? Like what what's going to light him up? What's he interested in? Um, I don't know if we were recording it earlier when you talked about like, hey, I, I really like music, right? I like music, and I just but I decided I'd rather make money and buy a, a nice piano. That's interesting to me. Like, I'm a little nerdy. Like, I know there's a lot that goes into like reading music notes and thinking about tonality. I mean, you want to what a metaphor for leading teams? You got you know this person with this instrument, and that person with that instrument, like you're the conductor, like there's just beautiful analogy and metaphor that comes from somebody that understands music and not everybody that's, that's working in a highly technical environment has that balance. So to me, I'd be like, Oh, rock on. We need some of that. Like we need some more flavor in the industry to balance us out. What would be like your one piece of advice to like can um, candidates and new employees, just like starting their job, how to like, set very good impressions because everyone wants to like set a good impression at the first, but what makes them like stand out? Cause you know, you don't want to start off being like a yes, do a yes. I can do this person all the time. Cause then you're just going to be overrun with so much work, but you also don't want to be like not going out to, to do anything and not asking um, to do more. So like, how would you, what would your advice and recommendation be to those new employees, how to stand out, but not also burn out at the same time? Yeah. So I think it's in the, the bits of, well, in ye olden days, it was like, if you're going to walk into somebody's office or sit down with them, you always want to have a pad of paper. You always want to take notes. And so especially when you're newer to it, right, they're going to people aren't going to realize they're going to be speaking in jargon, information is going to come at you quickly. And it's like, really, I do still agree. And then it's, you know, open up a Word document or whatever, like, take a lot of notes. 
Um, you always want to ask follow-up questions like, okay, or to reflect back. What I'm hearing is you need me to do X, okay? By, by when do you expect me to have this done? About, you know, is there in, and this is different, Becky, but if you're in for Norma and public accounting, what's the, what's the budget? Because they, they track time. And the where that I actually don't like billable hour, that's a whole nother conversation. But where it's helpful is like if they say it should take you 10 hours and you're like not even halfway done and you've been 10 hours, like you know your wheels are turning. So you know like, okay, I, I might be missing information. So always like that. Make sure you're taking good notes. When do you need this by? Like get clear. This is what I think that I heard you say is what you need. Um, is there anything else? The other important piece is if you are in an environment which they call matrix reporting, which means I don't report to one manager, I have multiple people giving me work and there's competing priorities, you need to vocalize that, right? Like, okay, well, Becky gave me this and Norma gave me this and they're both due at the same time. And like, you know, except I was going to say there's not two of me, but there literally are two of you. So that doesn't work. <laughs> but, you know, like I, I can't, you know hey, I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure what the priority is. I need some help because it's not your judgment call at that point and you don't want to burn out and do, you know, stay up all night to do both. So sometimes you're going to maybe surface that issue um, a little bit above. Um, you know, the other thing on the topic of burnout, I, I one of the things that I did, which I'm just like so glad that I did that, was... I graduated in December and I had two start date options, which were January or the following September. And I was like, I need more than two weeks. Like I need some time. And so I opted for September. I worked for a very small accounting firm with like 10 people. Like once I graduated, I worked for them for busy season, saved some money. And then I went and lived in Italy for three months. I did take my CPA review books. I didn't, the only thing I used them for was to kill mosquitoes. I actually didn't even study when I got there. <laughs> and <laughs> I lived, you know, and I learned so much about life, mm -hmm. you know, of living abroad and different cultures and stuff. And it's like, if you can really just, it's this nuance, right? Because like in ways you want to study maybe for some exam sections before you start, but you also just like want to live and play and have fun. And like, if you imagine your energy is like the battery on your cell phone and you're starting your full-time job and it's at 40%, like you're not going to make a solid of an impression if you come in and your battery is at a hundred percent. So think of yourself in that way. Like, how do I enjoy myself? I mean, this is, I haven't, I haven't talked a lot about it. It's a perfect time to talk about it now. I'm actually for the next three months, I'm, I'm aiming to work no more than 20 hours a month. I'm just going to like chill. I'm going to still do some work because I love what I do. I love some of my coaching clients and, you know, there's stuff going on that's interest to me, but I just want a break and I deserve a break. And I, you know, <laughs> my accounting has been in the back of my mind. I decided I had this I could hear my accounting professor from my undergraduate program saying, like, don't don't be a hog at the tax trough. So if you ever heard someone say that hogs get slaughtered and pigs get fat, that came up because I was like, oh, I'm going to we're planning to move. And I'm like, should I sell my primary residence or should I hold on to it and rent it? And I'm like, 
it's about at the 250,000 tax-free gain. Like I should just sell it. Like, don't be a hog. Don't be a hog. (laughs) And so I sold it and I'm like, you know, got 250,000 tax-free and I'm like, chill out, just going to chill. And so that's the value of what accounting creates for your life is like knowing how to have some financial savvy, but it's okay. <laughs> like I, I recommend you take breaks or recommend you take time off. Um, we talked about different benefits earlier. I've done some coaching in a firm that has a sabbatical program. So it's not like a one time you get promoted once thing. What they do with all of their employees is every seven years, they get a sabbatical. So they get paid eight weeks off and then they can tack on two weeks of PTO and get 10 weeks off every seven years. It's just something that they do to help res- like keep people rejuvenated and plugged in. Nice. <laughs> that I'm just very impressed by that. And I think that answer of just like making sure you're at hundred percent instead of 40 for me personally, I'm taking that to heart. Cause now I'm looking back at like my experience, like studying for my CPAs during school, studying now, like I have my exam on Monday and then I only have two weeks to myself before I start my job. I'm like looking back, I'm like, I probably should have done more for myself this summer than just studying so I can enjoy my life more and be at that hundred percent. So I'm ready for work. So now I just really enjoyed that answer because it's making me put it into perspective what I've done wrong. <laughs> well, you learn. Oh, it's good. You you take your two weeks, enjoy your two weeks, but maybe it's like, okay, now as I cascade oh, forward, yes. you know, what am I going to need to stay out ahead of burnout? So I'm going to start working full time. I'm going to maybe have my first busy season. I want to do a CPA exam. Okay, come April, I want to take two weeks off. Like, how do I communicate that from the beginning when I come in? Like, hey, I'm mm-hmm. a team player. I want to do this stuff. But I also, like, I need to have a life. And and it's, you know, as yes. long as you're performing, this gets to negotiation. As long as you're performing, you can ask for these things and you can plan ahead and that they can happen. Um, but it's just... I have learned how do I put those things in before I get burned out? And that just comes from age, right? And wisdom. Like I've burned myself out before when I was, mm-hmm. I was working and going to grad school and, you know, getting a high GPA and all that stuff. Cause I had that overachiever in me and after it's like, okay, can't do that again. Like how do I avoid that? So. <laughs> I think all of the advice you've given today has been so helpful. I've learned some stuff. It's, been reiterated to me. I'm. I think a lot of our viewers are definitely going to learn from all of your advice and perspective. Yeah, happy to be of service. And you know, I would also, if your viewers are interested, either taking the CPA exam or just like, hey, what are some things I want to think about early on in my professional career? Um, on our website, which is at www.conscious.cpa, um, we have CPA exam coaching. And our eight-week program to pass the CPA exam, we're, again, not teaching technical topics, but it's critical life skills. So you could just look at the topics and be like, oh, what should I be thinking about early on in my career, right? Like, why am I doing this professional designation, right? Maybe you don't want to even do the CPA. Maybe somebody wants to become an enrolled agent or a CFA, whatever. Why do I want to do it is different than, like, my professor said I should or my parents. You know, how do... Mm -hmm. um, how do I learn how to manage my anxiety? 
because when I come in to perform at work or I come in to perform on a stage playing, you know, the piano or whatever it might be, like we have anxiety. How do I learn how to mitigate that? How do I learn how to take care of my physiology? Um, so we love to help people with the stuff that accounting coursework doesn't teach. And it's, it's not a diss on accounting coursework. There's so much important technical information to learn. We just supplement all of that with, you know, the humanity that you need in the, in the profession. We'll include that link in the show notes below. So you guys have access to be able to click on this and look into it. Yeah. I know I will be looking into it. Right. As yeah. done you know, <laughs> how do we be more present? How do we be more mindful? How do we have more awareness of ourselves? Because so much of what we're doing is just based on habitual patterns of thinking and behaving. And so it's like, oh, well, what's driving that? You know, what, what is driving that behavior instead of taking a kind mm-hmm. of breath and slowing down? Well, thank you. Well, great. Thank you so much for answering all of our questions. And William, thank you for coming on and helping us ask these questions. I think it's great that we got all of our different perspectives. Um, and Amber, it was, I'm just, it was really nice hearing all of your point of views. I truly think that our viewers really are just going to value what you've said in this hour long. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And I just, I love, um, that William, that you had the initiative to be like, Hey, I got this salary question and they directed it here. And it's just such a cool concept of this podcast that you're up to. I think it's a really, uh, wonderful service to the profession. And it's really valuable for people that are considering careers in accounting that are early on in their career and just learning more about what's possible. Thank you both so much for joining us. Norm and I were really excited to do this and have William join us and Amber, you be able to give us these opinions and all these advice. Because again, Norm and I can only do so much and we really do need outside opinions, outside advice. Yeah. So I think that will wrap up this episode of the Accounting Twins podcast. If you guys have any last words, let us know. <laughs> My last words are follow your heart, right? You know you know best what's going to make you happiest in life. And sometimes you might think you don't know, you know, go find some silence, go in nature. For me, it's yoga. Maybe talk to somebody who's like, no, you. this is who you are, right? But you do know who you are. And just to really follow your heart, it will never lead you astray. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. I guess we will see you all next time um, on the Accounting Twins podcast. And we can't wait to do another interview soon. (laughs) 